All right. We are continuing our study of times and seasons. And if you're confused and totally messed up on what the calendar is supposed to say, that's good. It means you're listening and making some progress. Uh, tonight is not going to be much different. We're going to be talking about uh, the, sec- the, the third and fourth uh, Special events, if you will, the feasts of the Lord, although one of them isn't a feast, so you can't really call them all feasts of the Lord when one of them is a fast, but uh, the celebrations, the holiday, the, the calendar of Israel. And these become the calendar of the church. Uh, we recognize, well, Passover is important, not just because of the Old Testament, because this is the context of Christ's sacrifice. And so the institution of the Lord's table is at a Passover meal. We understand last week we talked about the connection of the Feast of Unleavened Bread with that whole idea of the journey, the beginning of the journey out of Egypt, the beginning of the journey out of sin, out of my old life into my new life. And the resurrection we're going to be talking about tonight. Uh, A little bit further, you might say the resurrection, I thought that would be with the Passover and Easter. No, it's actually connected more strongly to the Feast of Firstfruits, followed by the Feast of Weeks. The Feast of First Fruits is a single day, it's a, it, and it's generally held right after the Feast of Unleavened Bread, making it now at a nine-day holiday. We talk about the eight days, Passover being one day, then the seven days of Unleavened Bread, and then we have the, the wave offering, if you will, the Feast of First Fruits. And so I'm in Leviticus 23, and we're going to have some problems identifying when this is, which you expected, because the Feast of First Fruits is tied in its timetable to Passover and unleavened bread um, somewhat, but not definitively. It's actually tied to the agricultural schedule of Israel, which is very different maybe than the agricultural schedule of the United States or of Australia or you know uh, tropical places. And so of Russia and things like I mean, obviously everyone's agricultural schedule is a little bit different. It's tied to the schedule of Israel. And so let's look at it. Let's go ahead and read this section, uh, verse 9 through 14. Then we're going to go into verse 15 and following. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say that when you come into the land which I give you, reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf, on the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And you shall offer on that day, when you wave the sheaf, a male lamb of the first year, without blemish, as a burnt offering to the Lord. Its grain offering shall be two-tenths of an ephah of a fine flour mixed with oil, an offering made by fire to, to the Lord for a sweet aroma, and his drink offering shall be of wine, one-fourth of a hin. You shall eat neither bread nor parched grain nor fresh grain until the same day that you have brought an offering to your God. It shall be a statue forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. And so here we have an opportunity to celebrate the Lord's provision. And so we have this wave offering that is to be given. It is called the Feast of First Fruits. Now, as you can see, there is nothing in here giving its timetable precisely in connection, but it has always been traditionally done immediately following the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But as we're going to see in Joshua chapter 5, that isn't a necessary requirement. 
Uh, and so we find that um, traditionally at this point, the Feast of First Fruits is the day after the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So you have Unleavened Bread, and then you have the Feast of First Fruits. It's to designate the provision of God for your first harvest. Now notice, did they celebrate the Feast of First Fruits for the 40 years in the wilderness? No. It says, when you enter the promised land, whenever that is, and you eat of its harvest. So when you reap its harvest, then you will bring the sheep of first fruits of your harvest to the priest. And so what you're doing is you're bringing the first fruits of your early harvest. To us, the concept is it's early harvest. To them, it's a later harvest because their early harvest is in the fall. Because remember, they have September as being the, the one part of their calendar, the beginning of one part of the calendar. The religious calendar starts in the spring, uh, but that would have been the end of the, or the, the latter fourth of their uh, other calendar. So you have a political calendar and a religious calendar. So we find that they're bringing this first fruits of this harvest to them, to the priest. It is, produces a wave. You have a sacrifice put it, and the whole idea is we have one very specific thing. It is not to happen on the Sabbath. Why? Why is it is the day after the Sabbath? Well, what does that make it? It makes it the first day of the week of the Jewish calendar, which starts on the new moon, whatever that is, whether it's a full moon or dark moon, we don't know. Uh, but so it's the 14th of the first month, start is Passover. Then you have the Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days. And so now you are on the next day. So here we are. Uh, we have three right in a row. Boom, boom, boom. And then we're going to have a gap before we have the Feast of Weeks. This, notice though, it's going to be the first day of the week after the Sabbath. That's why we point to this about the resurrection, that this is perhaps a better association with the resurrection of Christ. Passover is about the sacrifice of Christ, and it is the Feast of First Fruits that Jesus Christ becomes his, the resurrected one. Because what does, he, what does he stipulate as in the New Testament in terms of the resurrection? He is the first fruits. He is the first fruits. He is the first. Uh, he is the, the initiator of the first resurrection. When you get to Revelation, blessed are those who participate in the first resurrection, the resurrection to life, versus the resurrection to condemnation that's going to happen at the end of the seven years of God's outpouring of his wrath. There's going to be a great resurrection. Uh, I'm sorry, at the end of the millennial kingdom, there's going to be a great resurrection of living in the dead, and, and, and so we have the judgment there. And so what we have is Jesus Christ being the first fruits of the promise of God of resurrection for all men. And so the Feast of First Fruits, you and I would call Easter. So we are technically celebrating. It has to be on the first day of the week. Now, are we celebrating in the Jewish calendar properly? No, we're celebrating in the, in the Roman calendar uh, that we're using uh, to stipulate this date. But it seemed to be convenient to the church that was largely in the Roman Empire, largely Gentilian, and they associate to uh, the first day of their week. And so the Feast of First Fruits was never on the Sabbath. It was generally never during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It was the, 
first day of the week following the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so uh, if Passover is a Sabbath, the last day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread is also the Sabbath, right? So you have seven days. So Sabbath, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, you hit another Sabbath. And then the next day, which is really the ninth day of celebration in, in consecutive order, Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, Feast of first fruits comes. And now it can't be a Sabbath because what are you bringing? You're bringing your harvest. What you're doing is you, you are, during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you're allowed to do work between day one and day seven. So, but those two days are holy convocations. You're not allowed to do any work in them. So you can't do any work on the Passover, on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is an extra Passover, or the last day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is the normal Passover, the 21st. And so you come to this day, and you're expected to harvest something out of your fields and bring that to the first fruits. So that would be considered work. So you can't do that on the Sabbath. So you're going to do that either in those days in between during the Feast of Unleavened Bread in preparation, and you're going to bring it to the Lord on the first day of the week. And the priest is going to then offer that sacrifice and... We're going to recognize the beginning, really, of your harvest. This is when you start harvesting. And so that first harvest day, the first harvest day isn't a long day in terms of being in your field. It's a very short day. Your first harvest is you go in there and you get enough to take to the priest for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And you accompany that with the uh, sacrificial lamb uh, you accompany that, and you have the grain offering and the oil. You have this all presented before the Lord. You have a drink offering of wine. You have, and everything stipulated here. And so you bring this. And so Jesus Christ is the first fruits of the provision of God. That's what we're celebrating. Well, Jesus Christ is the one who has provided for our eternal life. Even as God provided the harvest for their physical life, Jesus Christ becomes the provider for our eternal life. And thus, he, his resurrection, is the Feast of First Fruits. So we just celebrated that some weeks ago, the, the Feast of First Fruits. We just don't call it that. Maybe we should. Instead of calling it Easter, uh, Resurrection Day, we'll call it First Fruits. And, and use the passage that talks about Jesus being that first of the resurrection unto life. That was the beginning of that first resurrection. And so we have a very powerful connection here to this. And don't disassociate. Say, well, what is this, you know? Well, you can go out there and harvest something and bring it in, but that doesn't really fit our agricultural schedule here because we have harder winters than they do in Israel. Um, Israel is, one of, is a semi-tropical, and so they, can harvest, they have two harvests a year, and, uh, and we don't have that. And so this would be kind of difficult to do for us. Um, I guess there's winter wheat that we could produce, but, uh, the, but we're missing the point if we're just about going out to our garden, cutting out some grain and bringing it. The point is that these, there's a spiritual celebration here of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that these physical fruits were to picture a spiritual provision that Jesus Christ is. And so... When Jesus Christ in the Gospel of John says, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. You ate manna and you got hungry and it went away, but I am the bread that comes from heaven. 
He is the spiritual food. And that's why he says, if you don't eat of me, you can't, you're not part of me. And so, and that confused everybody. Well, he is, he is making this connection to this event. That as you glorify God for his provision of your physical food, you should also remember that you are glorifying God for his provision of your spiritual food. And this we ought to be doing. And this was definitely done on the first day of the week. It's the main thing stipulated in here, uh, which caused a problem this year. So if you go to the internet, I did this before I came, if you, before this afternoon I did this. If you go to the internet, I just want to make sure it was still the situation, uh, and you ask, what is the day of Pentecost this year? You'll get two different dates. And the reason why is because the Feast of Unleavened Bread didn't end this year on a Saturday. It ended on a Sunday. And it stipulates you cannot have it on the Sabbath. And the last day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread is a Sabbath. And this year, because of the conflagration of the Jewish calendar, which is lunar, with the Roman calendar, which is solar, um, the Feast of Unleavened Bread ended on, guess what? Sunday. So, now we have a dilemma. We can't do it the next day because you're supposed to do it the day after the Sabbath. And because they're celebrating Saturday Sabbaths instead of Hebrew Sabbaths, they, there was a conflict. Because the Feast of Weeks is counted from this, that first day of the week after the Sabbath. You start counting. Boom, 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 boom. Seven weeks, 49 days. So 50 days after the end of, of so hence Pentecost. 50 days. Well, that means that Pentecost, six Sabbaths after the Feast of Unleavened Bread, is always going to land on the first day of the week. But which week? Do you start with the, when the Feast of Unleavened Bread, because of the confusion of calendar, ends on a Sunday, you have to wait till the next Sunday to present the wave offering is how it's been interpreted by the Jewish community. Um, but there's a lot of others, particularly in the Christian community, and the, the text they use is, is Joshua chapter 5, that would contend that the Feast of, uh, of Weeks can happen during the Sabbath or during the Feast of Unleavened Bread if it overlaps the first day of the week, which again is impossible if we kept a Jewish calendar. They would never overlap. What happened this year would never happen in Israel, ever. Okay? So the argument is empty, uh, that, that concept. So let's go to Joshua 5 and see where the problem is. So we're in Joshua. This is when they entered into the, into the promised land. Yes. Right, under... It, it, it did have, well, Israel's not following their calendar. Right, they, they, they consider Saturday the Sabbath, which it isn't. It has to be the 7th, 14th, 21st, and 28th day following a new moon. Whether that's a full moon or a dark moon, we don't know. But it has to be one of those. So, uh, in, in Joshua chapter 5, we have the recircumcision of Israel. And the uh, manna ceasing, and we come to uh, 
the event that this was talking about. It's in verse 11. And it says, And they ate of the produce of the land on the day after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain, on the very same day. And so they say, well, you see, and now this isn't the last day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, it's the first day of Unleavened Bread. And they say, you see, they're eating the produce of the land and the unleavened bread on the same day. Uh, the problem is, just because you're eating of it doesn't mean that you have presented it as a wave offering. And I would contend this isn't the Feast of First Fruits they're celebrating with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It is simply stating what happened. But those who want to argue that you can have this overlapping and still have one without the or one on top of the other one would contend that this next Lord's Day is Pentecost. So a large group of the church will be celebrating Pentecost a week from today. Okay, because they say, well, it can't overlap. And but most of Judaism and will say, no, we're going to wait a week because we have to, we can't because the last day of unleavened bread is a Sabbath. So you have to wait till the next first day of the week after that. And so that means that they're going to be celebrating Pentecost two weeks from today. Of course, if the full moon, new moon problem is there, it really should be three weeks from today. No, four weeks from today. It should be four weeks from today. Or it's today. Depending upon whether the full moon is the full moon before it or the full moon after the new moon that they selected to celebrate. So either today is Pentecost or four weeks from today is Pentecost, one or the other. Um, but we have this, uh, and by the way, we are going to celebrate Pentecost. <laughs> um, we have a choice. We can either do it in two weeks or four weeks. I've chosen two weeks, so we will have a Pentecost Sunday in two weeks, which is uh, agreeing that this is not, this account in Joshua 5, uh, I just want you to know the positions out there, this account is saying that they ate the produce of the land, and that was the Feast of Weeks, uh, our feast of, of first fruits combined with the feast of unleavened bread, and that does not say that. It simply says they ate the prosal, it doesn't say that they brought it to the priest to do that. And again, built off of Leviticus and saying that you can overlap these, and since they will be celebrating Pentecost next week. If you want to celebrate Pentecost next week, that's okay. Again, we are not tied to the law here. But it's the principle that the Feast of First Fruits was celebrating Christ's resurrection, and now we're going to count seven weeks, and we'll celebrate the Feast of uh, un of the Feast of Weeks following that. Now, how many of you got your calendars out and say, "Well, when do we celebrate the resurrection?" Well, it depends, right? Last week was Orthodox Easter. How many weeks ago was... How many weeks ago did we celebrate Easter? Fourth of April, five weeks ago. Okay, and so next week can't be six weeks, right? So that's why it's two weeks, seven weeks from Easter. All right, comes Pentecost. So we come into, so these two are tied together. The Feast of First Fruits and the Feast of Weeks are connected. This, 
The Feast of First Fruits says, now you start counting. Boom, 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 boom. And in seven weeks, you're going to celebrate Pentecost. Now, so let's go to the Feast of Weeks and back in Leviticus 23. Any questions so far on Feast of, Feast of uh, First Fruits? I don't want to diminish it because it is one of our high holy day. We're talking about Easter. We're talking about the resurrection morning of the first fruits of the resurrection. And so I don't want to diminish it by, by just, but I'm trying to do two a week. <laughs> I'm trying to get through some of this material. Um, in terms of the events talked about, it was not referenced because it was overshadowed. All right, everything is about Sabbaths and Passovers, and it says it was the day after the Sabbath. Well, every Jewish person would have known that the day after the Sabbath of unleavened bread is the Feast of Weeks, or the Feast of First Fruits. Um, the problem, is, again, is the relationship between the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Roman calendar and the Jewish calendar, which we have today, that same problem. And so there's a lot of discussion about that. Or is the resurrection tied to the Passover? Or is it tied to the Feast of First Fruits um, because of this overlap? And that's why you find them saying, well, we can't leave Christ on the cross um, because of this special, this coming up, okay, which would be the Passover. So, yes, it is okay for the Feast of Weeks to be in the midst of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, but not on the first day or the seventh day, because those are Sabbath days. So it's very realistic to say that, well, Christ could have been resurrected um, during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, but not on the Sabbath, because there would have been two Sabbaths in a row, right? Passover is a Sabbath, first day of Unleavened Bread is a Sabbath. So if he died before that Sabbath, had another Sabbath, then you have the third day, which happened to be the first day of the week in the Roman calendar, Christ rises from the dead. That, that would not have been the Feast of First Fruits necessarily. It still would have been in the midst of it. And that's why they use the Joshua 5. Um, but I would contend that that's not the end of the Sabbath, but, the, but in the midst of it, on a non-Sabbatic day. Okay, and, but it's kind of interesting that Jesus Christ, uh, that Jesus brought Joshua into the promised land and they did the circumcision and all of this and rededicated themselves and it was this uh, in the midst of the Feast of Unleavened Bread at the beginning of it. Okay. They present their, no, it is, the Feast of First Roots is not one of the three that they had to come to. Feast of Unleavened Bread, Feast of Weeks, and Feast of Tabernacles. These are the three that every male Israelite was supposed to attend to. Not even Passover, not even the Day of Atonement, not the Feast of First Fruits. It was Unleavened Bread, um, Feast of Weeks we're going to study next, and Feast of Tabernacles. Not the Feast of Trumpets, those were not required. They were, rec obviously they wanted them there, but not required. So the three requirements, unleavened bread, weeks, and tabernacles. Which, so let's get into the Feast of Weeks. Okay? Uh, and again, verse 15 of Leviticus 23 says, You shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath. All right, so from the day after the Sabbath is when you did the first, first fruits. From the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. 
and you shall bring from your dwellings two ways, and it describes what the offering is, and that they again will wave it. Uh, and then there's lots of instructions about how to do your agriculture in terms of, of not harvesting to the edge of your fields and all that. So this is harvest period. So we're celebrating the beginning of the harvest with the first fruits. And the Feast of Weeks is essentially celebrating the completion of that harvest period. And now you're not eating unleavened bread, you're eating bread with leaven in it. You have lots of time. And, and because you're settled, you're at rest, you're not in a hurry. Now you are ready to uh, add leaven and you can raise it and have really fluffy bread and all those cool things. All right, so you come into the Feast of Weeks. And Pentecost, of course, all of you know because of Acts chapter 2, right? It's importance to the church. This is the beginning of the church. Now, rabbinic tradition has tried to draw the focus away from that. Here's what rabbinic tradition teaches. Why are we celebrating the Feast of Weeks? Um, the fullness of the harvest. Well, what they will teach is that they have two different tracks. By the way, if you're in a, in a rabbinic uh, 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 synagogue uh, during Pentecost, they'll generally read the book of Ruth. Uh, that'll be one of their main celebrations is they'll read the entire book, the account of Ruth, and really focus in on her and, and elevate her during that period of time, um, which makes sense because so much of the book of Ruth is tied, of course, Ruth is what, the great-great-grandmother, great-grandmother, great-great-grandmother of King David. So we have that, so she holds a special place there, uh, and her whole story is wrapped around what? Gleaning the fields, which is what the Feast of Weeks instruction is about. When you're finishing your harvest, don't finish it to the edge of the field. Leave that for gleaning. Well, the big gleaning story in Israel's history is Ruth and Boaz. And so they read that account, and they spend a lot of time on that. So there's an agricultural aspect of that, and they focus it on the story of Ruth, and they, and they make that the emphasis of Pentecost. The other rabbinic tradition that they introduced is the idea that this is when Israel was getting the law at Mount Sinai. In fact, they have introduced a lot of interesting legends. One is that they were in the wilderness around Sinai in the desert, and when God gave the Torah to Moses, that the mountains were so blessed by the coming of the Torah that it, that it just sprang out in flowers and plants. It just turned green. Uh, and that's their legend, that they want to attribute it to this, and that's why we celebrate Pentecost. The problem is, they weren't allowed to celebrate this in the wilderness, were they? They didn't celebrate it at the giving of the law. It specifically says, when you enter the promised land. But because we don't want to focus in on, that, on the Pentecost of the church, of the birth of the church, of entering into the land and the concept of the completion of the harvest, that God has completed his provision. That is, uh, and we're going to talk about that here in a second in, in the New Testament. And so the Feast of Weeks has been, the Jewish community has kind of struggled over its meaning. And they've, they've gone to Ruth and they've, they, they celebrate their ancestry, which is kind of interesting because who are they elevating? 
Who's Ruth? What was Ruth? A Moabitess. She's a non-Jew who chose to become a Jew. She was a proselyte. And they elevate, they don't elevate Boaz, they elevate Ruth. And so it's kind of interesting that, that it takes on kind of a, which is not a bad thing from our perspective, kind of like elements we talked about Passover and about the uh, Paschal meal that they have. There's a lot of elements that are Christianized, and there's a lot of legendary things that are added over the years to the Passover meal. Well, there's these things added that aren't necessarily bad because if you think about it, they're celebrating the inclusion of a Gentile into the working of God, the intimate working of God as the uh, progenerous of their best king, King David, the Davidic covenant. And so that's not a bad thing. It's just an avoidance of the big Pentecost event that we understand it to be. So if, if the first fruits is the beginning of harvest, feast of weeks is the conclusion of the harvest, don't finish harvesting all the way out to the borders. Why would that instruction be there? Because we're at the end of harvest. You started the harvest, you've taken the best, don't try to get every single little pea off of every plant. Just let those edge ones go, let that wheat and barley out there on the edges go, and let the other people that need it for food that don't have a field to harvest it there. And so uh, this is the end of the harvest. So let's go to the New Testament. The completion of the provision. That's what I want you to get. The Feast of Weeks. Think of it as the completion of the provision. All right? So Jesus Christ rose from the dead. We associated that resurrection with the Feast of First Fruits. So what happened after the resurrection? Jesus Christ met with his disciples how many times? Three, four, five? We don't know. Excuse me? We, we know there was at least three because one of our gospel writers says this is the third time he showed himself to us. So it doesn't necessarily mean that that was the last time. It was just that that was the third time. How many days did Jesus walk on the earth after, or appear on the earth after the resurrection, before the ascension? Forty days. Forty days he was on the earth. Or appeared on the earth. So he rose, he descended into hell, into Hades, captivity captives. Those are the three days that he was in the grave. He then rose from the dead and he appeared to various people, sometimes one or two here, sometimes 120 there, and he appeared over 40 days. Now you might say, well, we're not at the Feast of Pentecost yet. That would be the 50th day. But then at the ascension, what does he tell them? Go to Jerusalem and wait there, and I'm going to ascend into heaven, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit down. And the process of Jesus, if, this is kind of cool for me, Okay, um, because of my position on Revelation 5. So the process of Jesus going from earth to heaven to take his place in heaven took 10, uh, well, might have taken five, uh, took 10 days, essentially, for Christ to go to heaven, take his place in heaven, all the events that we see 
shown in Revelation chapter 5 of Jesus Christ showing up on the scene as a newly slain lamb, uh, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is then uh, put on the throne. He is, he, we, we have a new song being sung in heaven. We have the scroll being put in his hand, and he begins to open the scroll. That process took some time. It was not just an instantaneous event. So Jesus Christ ascends into heaven. Ten days later, they are gathered in Jerusalem, all in one place, it says in Acts. Remember, because he said, um, I'm going to go, and let's go to Acts chapter 1. Let's just read it. I can share, but it's prayer if you read it. It says, being a, verse 4, Being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you should be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So did they think it was going to happen right away? No, it was kind of foolish that they stood there and watched the angel said, what are you doing? Go to Jerusalem and wait. You know it's going to be days because he told you it's going to be days. It's not, it's not going to be many days. It's going to be a few days. Well, if they were paying attention at all to what was going on, they should have known exactly what day. It was Pentecost. The completion of the provision of God. First fruits is the beginning of the provision of God. Pentecost, the completion of the provision of God. All right, so Pentecost uh, was the gathering point. And then, of course, we know that that happens um, in chapter 2 of Acts. So let's jump ahead to that. Verse 2 says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. There appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So we have the wonderful blessing of the coming of the Holy Spirit and somehow the only people that celebrate that are Pentecostals in the Christian community. And we have lost track of Pentecost. And, and I admit that. I acknowledge that I seldom lead you to celebrate Pentecost, and I ask for your forgiveness um, for that oversight of leadership. We really should be. It should be probably the second highest uh, Lord's Day celebration in our calendar. And here we are two weeks away from it, and you're clueless. What's our plans? Come to church. Well, I'm glad to hear that's your plan. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry I haven't led you to plan accordingly. That's why I was really hoping to get to these lessons a lot earlier. Uh, but uh, we, we have two weeks. You have two weeks. The Feast of Pentecost. Get ready. It is the completion of the provision of God. It is the celebration of the impact of Jesus Christ's sacrifice on heaven and its impact on us because it means that his work is, in terms of our salvation, is accomplished in heaven and he has sent his Holy Spirit, the promise gift, to us. It is the second highest day in our calendar. Should be. We call it the birthday of the church. And rightly so. Um, the the we celebrate his resurrection. We should be celebrating his, the Pentecost, the completion of his, of his provision. The beginning of his provision was, in fact, that uh, resurrection. But the completion of it was Pentecost. 
And so this is that event that we're talking about. Now let's go back to Leviticus chapter 23. Verse 17 says, shall you Bring from your dwellings two wave, two wave loaves of two tenths of ephah. They shall be of fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits to the Lord. And really, that first fruits word is likely further fruits. And you shall offer with the bread seven lambs of the first year without blemish, one young bull and two rams. They shall be as a burnt offering to the Lord with their grain offering, their drink offerings, an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma of the Lord, very similar to the first fruits. Then you shall sacrifice one kid of goats as a sin offering, and two male lambs of the first year as a sacrifice of a peace offering. The priest shall wave them, so you have a wave of, shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. That shall be holy to the Lord for the priests, and shall proclaim on the same day that it is a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. It shall be a statue forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. And then it talks about how to reap. I haven't read that yet. I wanted to wait till now. Okay, I wanted you to see all the different kinds of offerings that were combined on this one day. Do you see it there? I emphasized them while I was reading, so you had to have seen them, right? You have a peace offering, a wave offering, a sin offering. You're supposed to give your first fruit offering. You're supposed to give thanksgiving. All of these offerings, burnt offerings, every kind of offering was brought at that, at that day. That's why this is the this is the one of three required days for men to be there, and you brought every kind of offering. And it wasn't just, a, you know, a little squirrely thing here. You had to bring seven lambs. This was a substantial event. You're bringing grain offering, sacri- uh, blood offerings, uh, burnt offerings. You're bringing all these different kinds of offerings. Feast of first fruits, it was really just agricultural. It was just, there was one not that there wasn't an offering, but every kind of offering, peace offering. You're going to bring all of these things before the Lord because it is the culmination we're celebrating the entirety of God's provision. It is full. It is complete. What are we celebrating at Pentecost? It's not just the beginning of the church age, but this fullness that we have peace. And this is, these are the products of the Holy Spirit. Our sin has been dealt with. We have peace with God. We have drink offerings. We have grain offerings. We have wave offerings. We have all of these offerings to present to the Lord to, have, to put him before him as holy. That they are holy, holy, holy. The first fruits offerings. We have all of this that we bring. This is the perhaps, even compared to Passover, this is the biggest event of bringing offerings. This is the ingathering of offerings uh, to the house of the Lord. Uh, it is that whole, because it is, it is not celebrating one part of God's provision, but the fullness of God's provision. And I think it's wonderful that in Acts chapter 2, what does it say? When the fullness, when, the, the past, when, when Pentecost had fully come in, we're not talking about sunset. It wasn't sunset when, when Pentecost began. Pentecost was full. That means that we're into the day, remember, we're, we're, we're through the night. The night is gone. We're not celebrating Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit during the night. Because remember what the night represented. The darkness. And then God said, let there be light. And so creation started in the dark. 
God said, let there be light, was his first introduction. So when they say, the, when, when Pentecost had fully come, it means that we're into the daytime. We're in the daylight. We're not at the sunset period of the beginning of Pentecost. We're in the daylight period of Pentecost because Jesus is the light of the world. And the fullness of his provision is there. And now, boom, here comes the Holy Spirit. And wow, everything has changed. Now, where does Pentecost happen? the events of Acts chapter 2. Everything's supposed to be going to the priest, the priest, the priest, but now we have something different. We are moving from the priesthood of Levi, of Aaron, to the priesthood of believers. Now we have a bunch of Galileans. Let's go back to Acts chapter 2. I should have warned you we're going to be flipping back and forth. I'm going to finish with this promise. They were all together with one accord in one place. It says in verse 1. So all, this, all the disciples, all this group of, were there together. It doesn't say they were in the temple. And, but they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And the place, there, there was a sound. So there was, there was no wind. Well, do you see any wind? Two things happened. There was a sound. Right? There was a sound from heaven. As of a mighty rushing wind, there was no rushing mighty wind. It was just the sound of one without wind. Can you imagine that? Now, I was up at the Bahamas Friday, and there was huge wind, and it goes to the trees. It was like, you know, I could hear it into the night. And I was like, it's still windy out there. It's a mighty rushing wind. But imagine that sound without any wind. Because that's what was going on. There was no wind. It was the sound comparable to that of a mighty rushing wind. The second thing that happened is that there was divided tongues. Uh, so tongues appeared uh, as of fire. So was there any fire? There were tongues. That Something about the appearance of the tongues reminded them of a fire. But it wasn't fire that was lit on. No, everybody's head didn't have a little flame of fire. It had a tongue there that was divided like flame, okay? And so when we talk about flames, and you think, we think of, okay, we turn on, and we have a single flame on a Bunsen burner or something. We make, no, if you look at a flame, uh, that it's, it's lots of different tongues, right? Lots of different flickers in, a, in an open fire, correct? Because we're not using a little aperture and pushing gas through it to get a single flame we understand that the flames we're talking about is all these because it's representing divided tongues. That just as a fire burns and they have all of these flickering flames, so this tongue had all of these things to represent it, that it's going to rep- all the languages are going to be dealt with. And so all this appears and they started speaking with other languages. Take out the word tongues, put in the word languages and you'll get it right. Okay, because that's what the word tongues means. So let's see what the response is. Verse 5, they're dwelling in Jerusalem, devout men. How do we know they're devout? Well, they're in Jerusalem at Pentecost. They're obeying the law that says three times a year you're supposed to present yourself to the Lord. So these were not ungodly men. These were not, they, they were foreigners or from all over the Roman Empire and even beyond, uh, but they were devout men. They were true Israelites who wanted to keep the law. They knew the law. They were in Jerusalem for Pentecost. 
They were from every nation under heaven, it says. When this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak his own language. So they were amazed and marveled. And look, are not these who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear each in our own language in which we are born? And he lists off all the places they were born. And we get down to verse 12. So they were all amazed and perplexed and said to one another, whatever could this mean? Some said they were full of new wine. And Peter gets up and starts to preach. And so I want you to see what happens here. All of the giving is supposed to be going on at the temple mount. The disciples aren't at the Temple Mount or would have told us that. They were gathered to one place, but not necessarily the Temple Mount. And God announces his arrival with this mighty, rushing wind sound without a wind. And it gets everyone to say, what is that sound? Right? <laughs> I mean, you can't miss this. Whoa. Sorry about that, people in podcast land. I just lost my microphone trying to make wind with my hands. So we have this mighty rushing wind and everyone's drawing attention and it takes all the attention from that, me giving to God, to what has God given us. And we're receiving this wonderful blood and they run and they say, what is that sound? And, and all of a sudden there's this group of people somewhere, probably not very far from the Temple Mount because they're in terms of meeting places for probably over 100 people, uh, all, speak, all talking, prophesying, and they're gathering together and saying, what is going on here? And the wind is going on, and they see these cloven tongues on their head, and they hear them speaking in their own language. And so you're there, and, and I can see you speaking Greek, I can see you speaking Hebrew, uh, but these guys are speaking Parthenian to me in my very home dialect. Phenomenal. And all the wonder of God's provision is brought to bear here. And Peter says, hey, this is what God says. I will pour out my spirit. It leads right into his message. This is God pouring out his spirit on him as he promised. And this is the fullness of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Pentecost points us directly to Jesus Christ. Now, if these men were really devout, where were they? seven weeks earlier? Where were they seven weeks earlier? They're devout men. They were in Jerusalem for Passover and Feast of Unleavened Bread. The connection to Christ would not have been lost on these men. And so, now, does that mean that all of them were there? No, because sometimes they have to pick one. They can't get to Jerusalem three times a year, so they pick one. And in fact, Paul did that. That when he got arrested later on in the book of Acts, when he comes back, he had taken a vow and shaved his head and pretty much everything from the time you take the vow and shave your head, everything you grow between the vow and your presentation of the temple, you then shave it again and you offer that as a burnt offering. You burn that hair that you grew during that time. Okay? And so that's what he had done. So he had taken that vow, so he had to complete it, even though people along the journey were prophesying, saying, don't go, don't go, don't go. He goes, he went, because he wanted to be there for Pentecost. He couldn't get there for Passover. Uh, of course, he was in jail for tabernacles, but he wanted to be there for at least one. So I'm not saying that all these men had to be there, but most of them were the kind of people that would have been there if they were close enough. 
these from all over their world, uh, certainly they've been hearing about it. And so it's all about Jesus and the fullness of his provision, and that is what Pentecost is about. The Feast of Weeks is about the fullness of God's provision. Feast of First Fruits, the beginning of it. Resurrection was the beginning of his provision. The Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, is the fullness of his provision. And we need to be celebrating both of those. And so that's coming up in two weeks. Um, so we should put out a call for special music, for uh, what else? We should probably be planning a meal, shouldn't we? Sure. Okay, my wife is like, did he just do that to me again? We should be having a very high day two weeks from today as the second highest celebration of the church's calendar. And I encourage you to do that. Seven weeks from when you celebrate the Lord's resurrection, you should be celebrating the coming of the Holy Spirit and the fullness, the completion of the work of Christ. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you again for your love for us. Thank you for your word. And Lord, we ask for your forgiveness for disregarding such a very important event. And we know that there are men who have taken it and have uh, made something that it shouldn't be out of it, and Lord, but that doesn't excuse us for ignoring it. And so we pray that we might move ourselves more and more to your to celebration of your calendar, that it might become our calendar, and we know there's confusion around us of, of full moons and, and new moons and, um, and things like that that occur. And Lord, we pray that you might give us guidance and, and you might give us grace where we err. Uh, Lord, that we might make every effort in our hearts, in our lives, in our practice to glorify you in these areas, not in a legalistic manner. Lord, help us to have grace toward one another, toward our brethren throughout the earth. And we just, as they've had, others have had grace towards us in ignoring these. Um, Lord, we pray again that you might be honored in our midst in these days. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen.